going and exploring all these small hidden communities. They're actually not that hidden, but most people are too afraid to kind of walk down these soys because they don't know where it's going to go. And for me, that's what I love. I love going into the unknown. Welcome to the Crossroads Psychology video podcast. I'm Vojko Michnia, Sangnin from Beijing. In this episode, we'll talk about photography, culture, yoga, and mindfulness. I'm joined today by Nick McGrath, a Bangkok-based photographer and journalist who has been exploring the cultures and subcultures of Southeast Asia for more than a decade. Thank you so much, Nick, for taking the time to sit down virtually and have a conversation with me. Hi, Mina. It's a pleasure. It's great to be here and I'm really looking forward to the conversation that we're going to have. Perfect. So let's start by discussing your origin story. You've been in Thailand for so long, it's obvious that you have a true passion for Southeast Asia. So what is your origin story? How did you start loving Southeast Asia? <laughs> it's a long story. I'll, I'll try and keep it as short as possible. But um, uh, I was working as a photographer in Australia. I'd actually uh, changed careers had previously I, I was working in a different career and um, I, I started working as a photographer for about a year working for a newspaper and uh, I had a few things that were going on in my life at the time that my um, mother was uh, diagnosed with Parkinson's disease and uh, I'd literally gone through a uh, fairly long drawn-out divorce and when that had uh, finalized I, I took a year off and uh, I went traveling overseas. Um, but when I came back, uh, it was really difficult for me to find work. My networks had changed and um, yeah, I, I, I found it really difficult to work. So I actually was uh, a carer for my mother for two years. And then a friend of mine had um, sent me a, a message about a, another Australian photographer that was living and working here in Bangkok and uh, I really loved his work. I thought it was really amazing work and um, I decided to come over here to do a workshop and pretty much from then on everything had changed for me. I had a, an amazing experience personally and also f creatively as a photographer. Uh, I grew so much in, in a short amount of time and when I went back to Australia, I was I, I couldn't get Asia out of my head. That had, you know, I had so many amazing experiences and met so, so many great people. I, I I needed to come back. There was some felt like there was something here for me, but I didn't know what it was. And then eventually, I was offered a job working as a photo editor for a magazine. Um, and that was how my permanency uh, began, living, living in Bangkok. One of my favorite places in Bangkok is actually Chinatown. I think Chinatown provides such an authentic experience of what the business and the mercantile ethos of Southeast Asia is really about. So how do you see Bangkok's Chinatown <clears throat> from the perspective of a photographer, not of a tourist? right? Not yeah. of a long time resident, but yeah. specifically from the point of view of a photographer. I think first and foremost, you know, I'm, 
I'm just a human being having this experience here and I like to take photographs so uh, there's there's two things kind of happening at the same time for actually I don't don't know if if you if I told you but I I live in Chinatown I oh. renovated I renovated a a shop house here that uh, kind of came to me uh, unexpectedly when I was just beginning my my um, life here and because this is where I actually did my workshop so my my first instance my first experience of Bangkok was in Chinatown and uh, I just fell in love with the energy and the people and the chaos everything you know like everything was confronting in in some way and and uh, as as a photographer that was still you know learning you know I don't think you ever stop learning but uh, learning in this new uh, environment was uh, was just the most amazing place to challenge challenge yourself but yeah I uh, you know I was very very lucky to find a shop house which I renovated and did the interior design and made it all very very beautiful and um, and of course that was you know that was the anchor for my whole experience living in Chinatown and as a photographer I, I, Chinatown's changed quite a bit I think from when I first come here but uh, what I loved was about uh, going and exploring all these small hidden communities they're actually not that hidden but most people are too afraid to kind of walk down these soys because they don't know where it's going to go and for me that's what I love I love going into the unknown and uh, enjoying meeting people and having this experience where I can, um, you know, get to learn about how people live and what people do and, uh, and being able to photograph it as well. Yeah, it's, it's just a great, great experience. I love it very much and I've been doing it for 10 years, 11 years now, and I still, I still love doing it. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> I can totally connect with... Uh with the chaos that you mentioned. But you also mentioned people, people, people so many times in, in, your, in your answer. Mm. So does this mean that in order to take a great photograph, the, the place and its people matter more than what camera you use? So is it the place, the photographer or the camera that can give that final photo a special something? I don't believe that the camera or the type of camera that you have has anything to do with it uh, it's it's an approach and a, and a technique that maybe is a little bit different depending on the the type of equipment that you have um, so I'm completely uh, unbiased about whether you're photographing with an iPhone or a you know the most expensive digital camera in the world I don't think it makes that much difference but what my philosophy about photographing in the street and the street is you know it's, it's street photography is just one type of photography that's out there um, the thing that I love about it is that uh, there's there's actually three things that are really happening um, there's what's happening internally in yourself how you're feeling you know the kind of mood that you're in uh, you know whether you're you know you're in a good mood or a bad mood there's a whole lot of different things that are going on that has an effect on your the way you approach 
or you're 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 um, experiencing the environment, and then there's the environment itself. Now the environment you you can't control. Like you you don't have any. There's no determination or anything over anything that's happening. And what I love about that, and that that's part of the chaos too, is that there's this um, there's like a synchronicity that I think happens. Uh, between yourself and the environment, and and when you're in sync w with both of yourself and the environment, I think you 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 end up getting very good pictures. Um, part of that is is the fact that photography is about being very aware uh, aware of your surroundings, aware of what's going on. It's very grounding. It's very much in the present moment. Um, and I love the fact that I can walk around. I never know what I'm going to photograph. I'm not particularly looking for anything in particular. It's just things that happen, meeting random people, going into you know, places that are, that are new. Uh, and, and especially for me, because I'm a foreigner that, that's living here, uh, it, it helps me kind of understand my place in this world. Um, and so that's what I love. And, and of course, there's a paradox to all these things, um, but, but mostly the, the, the photography itself is not about the camera. It's more about yourself and how you relate to the environment and to people. And I think the more open you are, the more open in as far as, uh, you know, letting go of kind of some kind of, you know, there's a lot of things in your mind that happens that I think, mm -hmm. uh, you know, create com some kind of uh, boundaries that you you can't get through, and uh, and it's a, it's an internal it's an internal thing that goes on in, in your mind, um, and I I love pushing through those things. Um, for me, that's the most that's the thing that I really love the most. I see. I see. So you you like to go with the flow, you like to encounter the unexpected. But when it comes to technique, do you use, since you're a professional photographer, mm. do you use like a, a, a specific technique in setting up the camera or in setting up the frames? Or are you looking, do you have a special like signature style that, that you use? Or do you explore with both uh, location <clears throat> and people and I suppose photography techniques? I guess that, you know, for example, if I'm working in a professional level uh, where m maybe I have an editor or I have this some kind of assignment or there's some kind of, uh, you know, story or something that I have to kind of uh, find visually, uh, it's a different approach to just walking around the street and photographing. Um, but when... What I find when things are happening in front of you, uh, I, I don't know, like I have this instinctual nature that I think I've just um, uh, developed. And I think a lot of photographers that are working probably understand this, that, you know, it's just, you know, doing it over and over and over again. And you get to a point where you're completely instinctual uh, with what's happening in front of you, you're... I, I photograph manually. I don't do anything in automatic because uh, I have complete control over that. Um, and that's how you can kind of create more of your 
this, the, the idea of the self in, in the picture mm. as far as the feeling and capturing the mood or the essence of what's going on. So that, you know, like with everything, you need, you need to understand the, the technique and uh, under, understand what you can get from the camera. Um, and that doesn't matter with any camera you use. You still have to understand, you know, what you can do with it manually. Uh, when I teach photography, I'm always take like within the first five minutes of people where I teach, I'm always putting them into menu mode and uh, and getting them to like trying to erase their idea of um, what what it's supposed to be, and then start from 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 scratch. And it's really a lot of fun. Uh, I have a, this kind of I feel like I have a very simple technique where I remove. The, the numbers, you know, the aperture and the shutter speed, all these things com completely simplify it down to, to one specific uh, use case that you, can, that you can get in every camera, which is like using an exposure meter and just understanding how it moves. Um, and once you understand that, uh, you know, you can st you can actually start to get really good, really good pictures really quickly. So, yeah, the the technique is important, um, but I think you know, for me, photography is ten percent about the camera. Uh, Ninety percent is about about you um, and you know how you're experiencing the world. So in that case, I want to ask you this. This is, I think, a pretty tough question, and I ask almost everyone I interview. I like tough questions. Good, you know? good, because I'm, I'm a teacher. I teach psychology here in yeah. China, and I encourage all my students to go to college. But mm -hmm. in the case of uh, someone, a young person who wants to become a professional photographer, who's passionate about photography, do you recommend they take a course, like a short-term course, do you recommend they just self-teach themselves uh, how to use the camera and how to approach photography, or should they go in into like a three three year college course? It's a great question. Um, well, I mean, I I studied photography, and I actually studied. I began when I was about twenty seven, so it's kind of a bit late, you know, to to decide to change change careers so to speak because before that I was working in a different um, industry I was working in like a corporate industry and I'd, I'd done a few other things but um, I mean that that change or that decision okay I'm just going to segue a bit but the decision to go into the photography was about actually um, three things and I think it's really important and I'll, I'll get back to your question Mina, sure, but, sure. Um, this is a real fundamental kind of change for me because I was really disillusioned in uh, my life at the time. I, yeah, as I said, you know, I was going through a lot of different changes, and uh, I, I was, I was a bit lost, and I didn't really know what I was doing, and uh, it, I had took me some time, I guess, in a way, to kind of meditate on these things, like what what was really important for me. And um, I, I, I came up with three words. So the first thing was, uh, I had to be happy. Um, and these three words are reciprocal as well. It's not just I'm getting uh, something from, I'm not receiving it, I'm also having to give out this thing too. So I had to be happy and I had to be um, uh, passionate. 
uh, about what, whatever it was I wanted to do, and I had to be inspired. So these were mm. really three key words that um, uh, that really determined my my decision to get into photography. And because of my age, I, I, I kind of felt that I maybe I needed to go through uh, a, a proper course, um, which is what I did. I did a I did an advanced diploma of photography at uh, Photography uh, College <coughs> in in Melbourne, and uh, it was really good. But actually. What I, I what the reason why I did it because I thought there would uh, and there was there was industry connections in that and I think that was really important that I had access to industry uh, connections because you know like I was 27 28 29 by the time I finished you know I'm not young so there, there's a lot of risk in that um, but I you know I had also had a lot of self belief <laughs> and determination in the fact that this is what I've chosen this is what I'm going to do. And this is, and I'm going to be successful because of the three, those three words, which were kind of my foundational uh, uh, stones that that were that were below me. Um, and yeah, I I was lucky because I worked really hard. I also got part-time work in a commercial studio um, where I learned other things and gained uh, a network as well. I'm good at networking, so I know that that's a good skill that I have. Um, but yeah, I, I felt that I needed to have um, a, a course that supported me in giving me like an institutional support and network. And, 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 and then it worked, you know, like I, I, um, I qualified and then basically through the school I got my first job working for a newspaper. So that was a really big step, step uh, of confidence and, you know, following through with my my decisions and you know kind of you know you know like I, I had the dream job really that I felt so I think you know for me the, the the going through an institution was really good but I would also say that if you're very determined if you love photography if you want to learn about the world if you have a passion about humanity being connected, um, you, you know, you have to be very, uh, you have to have a lot of empathy, you know, you have to have a lot of, um, you have to be very broad in in your beliefs, um, you know, you have to remove a lot of biases about things. Mm. But I think that for a young person, actually, you know, if you, you have the energy and you have the self-determination, you can do it without going to school because at the end of the day if you just if you're willing to take the risk right and there's a lot of risks in say for example in photojournalism you know there's a lot of risks to a lot of you know say conflict work for example um, if you're willing to take those kinds of risks and I'm not suggesting that's what you should do but um, if you're willing to take all these risks you will, you will, you will get there. But it takes a lot of work, and and most importantly, the it's the 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 process of understanding your own kind of uh, what you said before about your own signature or your own style. Mm. That takes a long, long time, and it took me, you know, I think six years, six years before I finally found that 
you know, the, the, the images that I was taking were really uh, a connection through the mind and through the heart, through the eye kind of thing. Um, and you know, it, it's a nice feeling. You know, it's really, really lovely when you when you when you get to that. So, for young people, you know, I think you know you, you can do it. You just have to be. You have to have a lot of self belief. Uh, it's not a straight path. Um, you'll have a lot of failures, but you'll um, you'll learn from all of them. They're, actually, they're not failures. You know, they might seem like mistakes, but actually, mistakes are part of life. And you should accept them as uh, uh, opportunities for, for growth. Um, and I really believe that. So, and, and I think that's just part of life as well. You know, we, we shouldn't avoid these things. <laughs> and what, what's for sure, I believe there's no magic formula that you go and you learn in college about a technique and you just go out and set your camera and wait in the corner and then snap the best uh, photo, photo ever in a... In, within a few minutes. Mm. So there's a lot of practice and I think passion is also a, a big factor when it comes to yeah. Yeah. having that desire to find that, that special angle that you yeah. feel you will tell your story of that photo. Yeah. The experiences that you get from photography kind of, uh, um, uh, they can really get you into other aspects of life as well outside of photography. So uh, what I mean like that is, you know, like, I mean, you you might come across, you know, you're, you're working and you're maybe you're doing a job on, um, say, homelessness, for example. Uh, there's a lot of homelessness in, in Chinatown. And, uh, you know, I mean, you, you, sometimes you can't be... You know, you can't go in there and just take photos and then step out. I mean, I've got involved with um, people that I've met through photography that, uh, you know, I try to help them in some way. I'm not, not like the answer mm. to all their problems, but, uh, you know, I think that there's a, a duty in, in some way, in some instances, to get involved with people, you know. And, and I've had, uh, and this is the thing, you know, when you're, when you get involved in a situation where, for example, you're, you're, you know, you're having someone tell you this story about, say, for example, uh, I did an amazing story. It never got published, unfortunately. And this is one of the things, you know, with uh, photography, especially when you're starting out, you can have a really good idea. You can put a lot of effort and a lot of time in and you can get a great result. Um, and and then you're like, well, who do I give this to? Is this maybe it's for a magazine or for a newspaper? And you pitch it to them and you get rejected. You know, this is very normal. And it's hard. It's very hard, you know, when it happens. But that's just part of the, the industry. But I did a great story on a, on a young girl who was a, um, who came over from Afghanistan and immigrated to Australia and she got a she ended up getting a visa i'd met her through a friend of mine who was um uh involved in a in an art gallery and they were doing this uh exhibition of uh art that uh was from refugees basically it was it was only refugees so, um and um so i thought it was really interesting and i went to this exhibition and and um, the artwork was very interesting, but this one girl 
had done this amazing piece of artwork and it basically was um, the story of her journey and her mother yeah and just from that I felt like you know I this is something there's something there that I want to learn from and maybe I could you know help in in telling her story if she wanted to so I ended up um, meeting her and um, you know they were they were lovely you know I, I, I came around their first time and I met her and her mother at their home and they you know they made lunch that was so generous it was just like walking into a in, into another you, you know a second family you know that was just so generous and so honest and you know the 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 courage and um, the courage that they had that she had in telling this story which you know is heartbreaking super heartbreaking um, to hear that in this journey and you know like uh, kind of a, an amazing story of uh, trial and tribulation and overcoming you know all these things and also too what I what I love about this kind of thing is the idea of uh, you know she didn't identify you know the the kind of the you know what we would see as tragic circumstances or really difficult mm. situations she didn't identify herself as as that she kind of identified herself as a um you know like uh she, she overcome these things and the the this was just part of this thing that you know unfortunately she had to go through but it made her this amazing human being and um you know look I, I i just became friends with them and you know i would you know like go and have lunch with them often and you, you have to be a human being you know you can't just step in and out of these yep. things if you really have a conviction yep. you know and and sometimes you know there's things that you can't do as well so you know it's just it's just part of that that experience but i think you know like even in chinatown um, during COVID, uh, where I live, it was very depressing. There was so many homeless people here and they were all struggling. Um, and uh, I have a, uh, an Instagram account, which is, I just photograph with my phone. So I don't use a normal camera because I'm kind of, you know, it's all about photography. I'm not interested in the process of, you know, taking a digital camera, taking the image, resizing it, doing all this production. You know, that kind of sounds like work to me. I just want to get a good quality image out of my camera and I upload it to the Instagram. And it's a visual diary. And I've been doing it, you know, for the last five years. Um, but during COVID, it was... I, I actually stopped photographing because... I, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, it was so depressing. I mean, we're, we're all having our unique experience and coping with this situation. Um, but to see, you know, the, a lot of these people that were just really, really helpless that had no support, uh, I, I, I didn't want to photograph it. I mean, mm. you know, I, I photographed it before because it's a part of what... It's a part of the, the you know, what I see in the area. But it was... It was too much. So, you know, there's times where, you know, you just don't want to pick up the camera as well. And that, that's fine. You mentioned quite a few times that mistakes is part of the journey. And on your blog, you discuss how a mistake in, your, in photography can actually lead to something beautiful. And you called it the beautiful mistake. <laughs> can, you, can you elaborate a bit? 
Yeah. I, I love What's the, the beautiful mistake in the photography? The beautiful mistake. All right. So normally you, when you're photographing, there's some kind of intention. There, there might be a desire or, you know, you might have some preconceived idea about something. Um, and again, a lot of this stuff is just in your mind. Um, but when it comes to photographing, it doesn't happen. So, you know, you have this, this one way of looking at things where, you know, you try to put some intention into something and it doesn't work. On the other hand, I like the unintentional consequence of photography and really letting go. And, uh, and, and I think, you know, this, happen, actually, this happen, happens quite a lot. And I think a lot of the times, actually, it's through these trial and errors of, uh, you know, you know, using your camera and getting out of your comfort zone of, say, the automatic modes and just, you know, just getting, throwing yourself into the unknown and just trying stuff. And sometimes you actually can get really nice things unintentionally. And then, then you go, well, hang on, I got to re-engineer, like go back. How did I do that? What happened? Right? So I guess the beautiful mistake is really about, you know, um, letting go letting go and not being too not having too much imposition in your in your um, what you're doing with the camera um, you know being a little bit free in your mind to just try different things and and find the unexpected result the reason why I wrote that blog because I was at the Schwedegon pagoda in um, Yangon uh, I can't remember it was like maybe 2016 and I've been there many times. I haven't actually. That was the first time I've been to the Schwedegon Pagoda, which is a very, very beautiful place. And you know, when you've been to all these, you know, if you've been to different spiritual places in the world, no matter what you believe in, you, you, there's a sense of awe, or you know, you can. Totally. There's something there. You don't necessarily need to know or understand what it is, but there's certainly something there. You know. That, that has a, a powerful kind of effect. And um, even though I'd been there many, many times to Yangon, uh, I hadn't pur purposely hadn't gone to Shwedegon Pagoda, even though it's, uh, very, it's a very um, unique place uh, to photograph. Yeah? But I got invited. I met this uh, monk on the street, you know, just randomly. And uh, this is how a lot of things happen for me. They're just random occurrences and meetings. And I met this young monk who spoke really good English, and he was just a really interesting guy to talk to. Um, and he invited me to, to go up there, and I thought, well, this is the perfect time. This is the time to go, right? I'm, I'm being invited. And uh, so... He took me there and, you know, it was a Sunday, it was really beautiful, it was a very busy day, uh, uh, evening, um, and the light, it, just spectacular. And I couldn't capture the thing that I was feeling in the camera. I guess that was the frustration. It was just, mm. it was impossible for me um, to do that. And I was, you know, I think I was, I was a little bit upset, actually, you know, I was like, I can't. I just can't do this. And, and, and I gave up and I sat next to him on the floor. There's a big tile floor 
um, and people are doing circles around the pagoda. So they they do three anti-clockwise. Their prayers. Yeah, Yeah, they're doing their prayers. And it had just gone into dusk and there's... And I just sat there and I wasn't even thinking and I just started taking pictures without any thought. Um, You know, I... I don't even know that I can't even remember what the camera setting was, but I think it was not something that I had planned. I might have, I might have attempted something and it didn't work, and then I gave up. But anyway, I I just started moving the camera with the people that were walking, and uh, and I just started shooting. wasn't looking at the, you know, I wasn't even though you know this is a bad habit is like taking a picture and looking at the back of the camera straight away. You know, don't do that. <laughs> you know. Just, you know, I just started taking these pictures and then I just looked at them and I thought, oh, wow, oh, that's really, that's really interesting. And I thought, oh, you know, wow, I, that was not what I expected. I had no intention at all. And then, so the beautiful mistake is really making the mistake and then seeing something very special and um and interesting and then replicating it and then from that I just kept doing it all night and then kind of pushed it a little bit further and you know I you know for me you know you know that maybe they're not great images you know maybe you know they're not world-class images but for me it kind of represented the the feeling and the mood you know the dynamics and the energy I feel like I you know I didn't capture the Schwedegon but I captured the energy surrounding it and so that was, yeah. yeah, for me, that was a beautiful mistake. And the idea of, you know, there's this pro, there's different processes that you can go through. This is a wonderful thing about photography is you can, you know, there's a lot of, you can do a lot of trial and error and try different things in different situations, uh, situations different uh, uh, environments and contexts. Um, and, you know, there's, there's not really one single approach for anything. And that's what I love about it. That's what I love about it. It's it's very obvious to me that you're you're deeply in in love and passionate with the <laughs> culture in Southeast Asia. But what do you think in this globalized world? Do you think Southeast Asia in general and Thailand in maybe in particular have maintained or will be able to maintain their cultural peculiarities? <laughs> that's such a difficult question. I'm afraid to answer. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I, I have an opinion on it, uh, actually. Um, what is your opinion? Well, you know, I, I live in Chinatown, okay, so it's, it's not the usual expat experience of living in Bangkok. You know, I only know, you know four other expats that live in Chinatown, like in, in, a, in a shop house type of environment, living in the community, living on the ground. Um, and that, that, that was actually very important to me. I, I, you know, coming from Australia where we have, you know, a large area and a lot of space, the idea of living in a condo kind of gave me fear. <laughs> but if you think about all culture, like now, everywhere in the world, there's this, you know, mass global social media um, and I think a lot of the youth of today, and this is not this is not specific to Thailand, but I think it pretty much covers most, just about everywhere in the world, is that with you know like Instagram and TikTok and Facebook and all these other uh, social media 
platforms, it, it's kind of a homogenization of culture everywhere. So, you know, the maybe the aspirations of youth or the ideas that it's being sold to these young kids, you know, which is all fake, of course. It's not real. You know, I, you know, I, I, I worry a lot about that that effect on them, um, specifically, like say in the community or the small area where I live. Um, when I moved here, there was actually nothing here. When I mean nothing, it was just there was ordinary commerce. You know, mm. I live in the Herb and Spice district, so it has this wonderful smell year-round of in, in the soy. Um, you know, it's just got this fantastic energy and vibe. Well, let me say that now there's about 10 bars in, in my, in, around my very small area. So it's completely, completely changed. What I wonder about is that, you know, the, some of the, you know, I mean, I, I'm not negative into these because some of these people have, uh, have, have come up with really creative ideas and um, done nice things with uh, respect to the building, for example, uh, keeping the kind of heri- the, the historical or heritage or the, you know, the character of the building. Some have not also. But the idea of a cultural reference to, say, a modern um, business like a bar, for example, and there's a, there's a whole bunch of bars around here, um, they, could be, they could be the same from anywhere in the world. You know, the, mm. what I, you know, and again, this for me is a homogenization of, uh, uh, you know, culture. I, I, like, I like it when... People like local people here are uh, creating a new business, for example, and they're taking um, aspects of their own story or their family story and putting it into that um, that business. So for me, that's very interesting. As an Australian living in Thailand, you know, I I feel like I've lost my idea of uh, original identity. I'm a I'm a you know citizen of the world. I've experienced so many different things, and you know uh, my ideas of or my philosophy is very different to say what it whatever it was maybe 20 or 30 years ago. You know the pressures on youth culture are very very strong, and I I, I just think it's not just a place. Uh, it's not just in Thailand. The, this is these are effects that are happening everywhere in the world. What what I believe is this mm. homogenization, this kind of globalization of of culture. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's there's there are battles taking place in Chinatown. Like Chinatown has gone through um, radical, I think, radical changes since I've been here, and I've only been here ten. 10 years so it's not really that long in only. only only 10 years yeah um you know let's put I it actually, this way a decade yeah is it actually, only is it only now if we say a decade a decade yeah my god you know <laughs> actually i i i i've just become friends with a guy he's roughly around the same age of, uh, as me and uh, he grew up in the neighborhood so when he was a kid he 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 actually grew up in the area that that i now live in and it's been amazing to hang out with him and listen to his stories and, like, you know, fill me with these uh, images of what it used to be like. 
And I mean, yeah, it's changed quite a lot. That's for sure. Um, but I think I think one thing about um, Chinatown is it has this amazing historical and heritage uh, value um, that I still don't think the the powers that be or you know maybe the the corporations that can buy out you know these these um, um, neighbourhoods which they can don't understand still don't understand the significance of how important it is to maintain and keep it and uh, kind of develop it in a sympathetic way. It's a little bit different to how we kind of understand uh, the way things work in the Western world. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I, I answered your I question. but <laughs> Yes, you, you did. You did. I think I, I also believe that there's a lot of interference, but there will always be a Chinatown in, a, in Bangkok. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, like me being here has had a huge. I know I've I've had a huge effect in in some way by being here. I, I'm a, a an anomaly in in some regards. People are so surprised that there's a Farang foreigner living yes. here. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. You know the impact. You know, I I, I co-founded a gallery space actually in 2017 in the area. Um, and I co-founded it with a with a, a few other people, and uh, we wanted to. First off, we kind of felt like there we, we knew that there was already some kind of pressure on, um, you know, uh, change or business uh, wanting to de- uh, development basically, um, and so we took the we took a beautiful old shop house on a cor- corner shop house, painted it up. Um, and I used to do like curatorial photography screenings and exhibitions and book launches, and uh, I mean, you know, w- in one way it was about you know because we by the fact by the f- fact that I was living here, I knew that there was already an impact that was going to come. But well, no, I don't want to get uh, I don't want to make it like I'm the only one because there, there sure, was a sure. lot of people before me. Yeah, you know, we did a lot of great things there. And uh, I actually got interviewed by one of the main TV channels, um, and uh, they, you know, they were like curious as to why a foreigner was living in Chinatown and doing this thing. And you know, at the time, it was kind of like, oh yeah, this is great. You know, I want to, yeah, I want to tell my story. You know, I want to tell people why I live here and why I'm doing what I'm doing. And that aired on the the national news on the Sunday, and then the next day there was a whole bunch of people in the street looking for places to rent. So that's wow. kind of how quickly it changed. And, yeah, I had no idea that it would become how it is today. And, you know, to be honest, it, it's not a positive or a negative thing. It's just what it is. But I'm really grateful that I've had, you know, the opportunity to live here and, you know, for the, sure. experience the things that I have. You know, I'm so lucky and uh, I wouldn't change anything. <laughs> you you have also documented in quite some detail the Chinese opera culture practice in mm. uh, in Thailand. So what was it that piqued your interest in this particular form of art and entertainment? I never knew that I was going to enjoy Chinese opera. I had no idea. But uh, actually, I remember the first... Photo, I don't know if I have it here. I, I actually have it up on the on behind me, but I remember the, the first photograph that I took. Uh, it's just on the wall behind me. And 
But I I was actually doing I was uh, heading out out on a all night um, project working with the first responders in in Bangkok, and uh, I had to meet them at this uh, like a, a temple in in Chinatown. And um, while I was waiting for the, the people to pick me up, I was going out with another photographer. I was waiting for him. There was a tent near the temple and there was a, uh, music. And I was like, oh, you know, what's, what's going on over here? And, you know, so I walked around and I saw this opera and I saw this performance. And then I thought, oh, what's, what's going on behind in, out the, in the back? And... Uh, you know, I didn't know if that I was allowed to be there or not. I still, you know, I didn't really know anything, but I just put myself into these situations. I'm always, I'm happy to do that because, you know, people are going to tell me to move or get out. So um, I just put myself in there anyway and see what happens. But I remember seeing this wonderful, um, beautiful em em empress, uh, Chinese uh, empress, you know, in all this really beautiful... Uh, um, wardrobe and uh you know she's wearing this beautiful green green uh hat and you know it's just incredible and i just took a picture through this crack in the in the um uh, the the tent and then i ran back and then i had to go off with these guys and then when we were driving i was looking at the picture going holy wow that is that's beautiful I, was, I couldn't believe it. It's one of my most favourite pictures, and it's the first picture I ever took. So I had to come back and, you know, just discover what this thing is all about. Obviously, you know, performers in general love to be photographed. So it's really, really easy, actually, to photograph these people. And, and the best fun or the best photography is actually backstage. Now, you know, in our world, we would never just walk backstage into any performance because we kind of know that's off limits. But here, you know, nothing's really off limits. <laughs> once you... like an open stage anyway, right? Yeah, yeah. But once you realize, you know, there's not nothing is off limits here. You know, you can just about do anything to a certain degree. So I just walked up, walked into the um, back, back of the stage, smiled, you know, like, yeah, I'm here. Are you going to kick me out? No, you're not. You're laughing. You're smiling. I'm taking your picture. And the next, you know, I'm really hooked into this uh, pomp and ceremony and performance and, the, you know, the colours and the characters. You know, these operas go for four hours. I don't think I've yes. ever been to one for a full performance. You know, it's too... I'm not that dedicated. <laughs> but, but it's... And it was in Thai too, right? Yeah, well, it's actually in. And it's, um, like, it's a singer song, right? It's, yeah, well, it's, well, actually, it's they, they speak. Um, so, in Chinese, they call it new, um, and I forget the dialect. So they're actually speaking a Chinese dialect, uh, I, I, and I'm, forgive me, I'm probably going to say it wrong. It's like Tiju or, T, mm. yeah, something like that. This is this is something that will, I think, eventually die out. Um, you know the. The, the way it was supported in the past, I think there's uh, a lot of people, like a lot of the older generation have disappeared. Um, you know, they do say that even if there's nobody watching the performance, they're still performing for the spirits. So I like that. Um, 
Yeah, I've been photographing it for a long time and I've photographed many, many different troops from different levels, you know, I, and yeah, I, I, I like everything. Visually just, appealing to Very, yeah, it's, it's visually appealing. It's, it's, you know, it's really colorful and, you know, when I, if I'm teaching and I'm doing a workshop with someone and there's a, an opera on, I always take them. Um, I'm always pushing people's limits because that's where mm. people learn. And, um, you know, the opera is a fantastic, unforgettable experience, especially for people that haven't done that kind of thing before. Um, so I love it when, when these operas are in town, you know, especially when I'm teaching. Because I love to just, I never tell them what I'm going to do. You know, I always yeah. surprise them and they're like, oh, my, am I going to do that? Yes, you are. Come on. <laughs> Off you go. <laughs> and it's it's really great. You know. It's, yes, amazing it's experiences. I, I like to change a bit the focus of our dialogue here. Sure. I was, before COVID, a few years ago, I was in Sydney and then obviously I went to Bondi Beach and of course uh, I saw the, uh, the surfers. Oh, yeah. And then I know that uh, you've also used to be a surfer like... Mm every other Australian that I've met. <laughs> but but then but then you something happened and you started practicing yoga. Let, let's talk a bit about your um, your experience with yoga. Okay. So and maybe how you got into yoga. So I you know I started surfing when I was 13 and I think I stopped surfing I can't believe I did that but I stopped surfing around 30 uh, 37 so, you know, surfing was a huge part of my life. Um, when I was 17 or 18, I had a, a, an injury, a surfing injury, and uh, I, for about two weeks, I really couldn't walk. I had like a sciatic, a constant sciatica down my spine. Uh, I couldn't sit, I couldn't stand. Um, and uh, yeah, I was in a, a lot of pain. And uh, obviously went to some, uh, I went to a couple of doctors, I went to a chiropractor and well, they didn't do any manipulation on me, I was too scared. But they basically told me that I wasn't going to be able to surf again. And that was a huge red flag for me because I just knew that wasn't going to happen. Uh, it was an unthinkable thing. I had uh, found out about a yoga teacher that was doing some yoga near where I live, and I can still, you know, photographers have a visual memory, I can still see exactly to this day um, the, 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 when I came out of that uh, first session, and uh, I felt like I was stoned, actually, that was how I described it, and I remember looking out at, over the football field and looking at the sky, it was a sunset sky and the ocean in the background, and I had just... I was so peaceful, I, I just, I didn't quite understand what had happened. So I became a very good, uh, a very dedicated uh, student to, to my uh, yoga teacher who I practiced with for, for about 15 years. Wow. Um, and I was very deep into it, um, you know, I would practice you know, three or four times. I wouldn't practice every day, but I would practice. So sometimes I'd practice every day, but I was going to instructions twice a week. I was doing special classes with her. I was doing my own practice as well. Um, but the 
Yeah, the, the physical benefits obviously were that uh, I was able to go surfing again, um, which was great. But the, the idea of the mindfulness was something that I wasn't really even aware of. So this became, you know, this was, I was very, very dedicated with it for you know, 15 years. Um, this idea of, you know, the, the, the benefits of meditation. And I was getting really, really deep into it, you know, like, like insanely deep. Uh, philosophically, I was pushing myself through different breathing asanas. Um, you know, the amount, the amount of space that I could create between the in-breath and the out-breath it was phenomenal. You know, like, and I, I think maybe uh, you should, you should talk to maybe you should talk to people uh, these, uh, um, these divers that uh, hold their breath. That yes, that, yes, that would... the pearl divers of Japan too. Ah, oh, yeah, because I'm sure that would be fantastic. Because I'm sure they they have the same experience. But yeah, this this idea of space was was in, was incredible. So what yeah. what was what was your understanding? Of mindfulness at that time, how how has it developed? What what became? What was mindful about it? What is mindfulness okay, to so you through your yoga practice? I think in the beginning, when you're when you're like doing anything, but especially in yoga, there's a you're in a raw state. Okay, you don't understand the subtleties uh, because, like anything, you know, to learn subtle things, it takes a lot of time and a lot of practice and a lot of experience. It's the idea of a, an asana or any type of yoga posture combines two things. It's there's there's a a physical strength part, and then there's also the a stretching part. Um, and basically, imagine uh, a seesaw that uh, sits on a fulcrum, right? And what you're trying to do, in a sense, is like for example, when you're in a, an asana where maybe you're stretching your your joints or your muscles and you're getting it to the you're, you're stretching to a point of pain because you know it's through pain that you're for example not necessarily pain as in pain that hurts but a a, a process where you're you are you are really releasing toxins um, and there's an effect I think on the on the body and the brain uh, with that but there's, so there's a chemical and a physical thing happening, and so where the balance is is where the mind is balanced at, with the physicality, and there's this kind of harmony between both. And then once you're getting when you're getting to the subtle areas of these asanas or these poses is where you're you're pushing yourself in a very uh, very very small degree. And you're using your breath to control mm. the movement. You know. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing this great experience. And I do think that mindfulness is uh, a great practice that has tons and tons of benefits. Yeah. Before before we end our our dialogue, what advice do you have <laughs> as a father for <laughs> new fathers? Follow your instincts. It's instinctual, I think, to be a dad or to be a parent worries and anxieties about your you know your your child i think they're very natural and we do have them but they're not necessarily real 
So, you know, the anxieties and, you know, they have a, they have a powerful force in, in how you're, how you create your perception and reality of things. And yeah, I think, I think the, I think about, you know, being very instinctual and try to be really grounded in the, in the present moment. I mean, I, I, this is how I try to live, you know, I, everything I try to do, sometimes I don't even know what I'm doing. Like, you know, is it right or wrong? But I don't really care. I just do it because I believe in it. And if it's wrong, well, you know, maybe it was the wor- the best of the worst uh, decisions. Follow your instincts as a father, I think, and as parents, we do have an instinct to, to be parents. Be grounded in yeah. in your in your beliefs and in, yeah. in your in your in in what you do. And also, I do believe that there is a there's a lot of anxiety that it gets passed on from parents to children. Yeah. And yeah. if parents are less anxious, then our kids will be well, will be less I, anxious too. I, I'd love. To, can I just quickly share one little story before we sure, before sure. we might leave? But um, this this was a very very powerful moment for me. I remember a photo of me when I, my father is holding me in his arms when I was a baby and I'm wearing nappies and I have his work hat on um, and he's with his colleague uh, holding his daughter, another baby, right, underneath the car car park, a car, the roof of the, the car at his house. And so the, the strange thing is, I don't know if it's actually real or, or a um, constructed memory, but I remember well supposedly i remember having a conversation with this baby going why is it that they don't understand us right don't ask me why i have this memory but it 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 stuck with me and it came back to me when i became a, a dad and um so when my son was about uh i don't know five six months you know, he wasn't spitting out any words, but he was googling and gargling, and you could see that he had, you know, he was paying attention to things. I would tell him a story. Uh, I had a whole bunch of pictures on my wall, and uh, every day I would tell him the story of all these pictures, right? So it was a narrative, and I did it, I did it very often, very very often. And then one day, I thought. Why am I doing this? Is there, do I believe that he can understand me? And if so, then how, how, do, I, how do I prove that? So I, I said to him one day, I told him the story, and uh, you know, I went through every picture in my arm, and I said to him, I said, Paddy, which, which picture is your favourite? Okay, I'm talking to him like an adult. I'm not talking to him like a baby. I'm talking to him like he understands me, or I believe he understands me. And so I asked him the question, and I couldn't believe it, but he turned his head and looked at every picture and then pointed to one. And I was, you know, I, 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 I was just couldn't believe it. And, and ever since that moment, I just was like, you know what, I'm going to talk to him like he understands me, okay? Exactly. You know, and... I think it's been really, really good. I think it's been really, really good. And read, 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 yes. read to your babies, you know, like even before they can talk, just read to them. You know, I, I have to read like three books a night sometimes. Being a dad is the best thing in the world. And, you know, actually being a dad was really finally understanding what it was like to be a son, actually. 
So it was this amazing full circle of uh, uh, feelings and of emotions. Life. Yeah, and yeah, it was really amazing. So yeah, it's it's a fantastic experience. <laughs> thank you, thank you so much, Nick, for taking the time to sit down with me and have this this chat, this dialogue. Uh, you're in Bangkok. I lived in Thailand for 16 years. Now I'm in Beijing, yeah. but it's great to to be able to reach out to people and continue having this connection with uh, with Southeast Asia and with uh, you know people like like you who like art and who like culture and who have a deep understanding of the world around them. Thank you so much one more time. Thank you very much, Mina. It's been a pleasure and, uh, you know, I, I love what you do and, you know, I've been watching all your other videos since you got in touch with, with me and I, I just think you're doing a really great thing and, and uh, I wish you all the best too. And hopefully I'll get to see you in Bangkok one day. Sure, sure. Yes, I'll totally visit you in Chinatown. Great. You're more than welcome. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you, Mina. Bye-bye.